0: I'm Alex Milleris,
1: and I'm Tai Seifu.
0: It happened. They lost. Well, the amazing run has come to an end. This is kind of old news at this point, actually. It was like, what was? It, it was like three days ago now. Uh, and man, I, I, my main thought is that history will look back on this as kind of the same way we're thinking about it now, which is, man, this is this like the worst team that's ever made the Stanley Cup Finals. How did they get there? No one's ever really going to know. Before we we talk about that stuff, there are there are two actually two things I want to mention. That are unrelated the first one is that i finally broken through and won one of our draft segments the olivia rodrigo songs i won the poll by a convincing 64 percent to 36 percent margin thank you to everyone who was on the correct side which is of course mine and i noticed something interesting actually which it was which was yeah. that it's the first time i posted the poll along with the actual teams and not just saying from the most recent episode who had the better team, I actually put the teams along with it. And so there's a chance maybe some people who maybe hadn't heard the episode saw the teams and cast their vote anyway. So all I'm saying is the larger sample size proved to sway into my favor. So there's a very good chance
1: my teams were better all along. Four times in a row. I find that hard to believe. Four times in a row. All right, all right. But uh, also, I want to go back and see that list. See, Did you put yourself strategically... First, so that you got that primary bias. um We'll see. We'll have to see. I have Primary bias. Yeah, that doesn't it exist.
0: Primary bias. It does exist. The first thing you yeah, see is your does. favorite.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's like recency bias, but it's primary bias. The opposite. No um, recency so... bias is because you, if you read no. mine first and then yours, then the recency bias would mean that they prefer no, yours. No, 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 no. It's more like primary bias because you know, you primary bias. You open the story, you look at it, and you're like, oh, I like these Olivia Rodrigo songs after you're having read your list and then you know you've just kind of forgotten about my list and so you pick yours so um we'll 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 have to uh see the strategy on the uh strategic placement on the, on the instagram story but uh yeah I, I humbly accept this defeat i think the voters got it wrong i still stand by my team i think i absolutely smoked you um but uh alas you can't win them all um and next time i'll be ready to go
0: Yeah, and next time I'll also I will list your team first of whatever we draft, and we'll put that theory to the test. And the second thing I wanted to mention before we talk about hockey uh, is that today I saw a bunch of my family members who I hadn't seen in a while in person, and my uncle, who if you're listening, hi Uncle Jeff, uh, he said that he was listening to an episode of our podcast recently, and he said he told me that partner you're sure has a terrible potty mouth every other word out of his mouth is an f bomb so <laughs> i don't know just just i don't know i don't know maybe i don't okay. know if maybe you could right. not it doesn't really bother me let's let's challenge you for today see i don't you don't have to tone it down 100% but i don't know maybe you know see if you can experiment with some some different words i want to see if you can wrap your head
1: around that oh shoot i'm being called out on live air gosh darn uh, oh, um, fucks. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. We'll see. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. We'll be we'll keeping see. score. You can keep score. I, I I probably won't even notice if I say it. Um, But uh, all right. Yeah, we will see. I, won't and either. Uh, I probably won't either. Okay. I don't think I'll be able what, to keep what, score. <laughs> what's the over under before we start? uh,
0: If I knew how many times you started score. a normal episode, maybe I would be able to come up with a good number. Uh, I don't know. Let's say 10 and a half.
1: How do we feel about that? All right, ten and a half. I'll take the under. And, Is that a bit uh, apologies of- to Uncle Jeff. What? I, I don't know. I have no idea. One every six minutes? About one every nine minutes? All right. Sounds like a struggle. Already, I do I'm know already... from
0: adding, sometimes sometimes you have like four back to back in the span of like eight <laughs> seconds.
1: Okay. Yeah. Usually, what I'm talking about the defenseman probably. Um. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So so all right. Ten and a half. And we'll see we'll see how low I can go. Okay. All right. So yeah. Yet again, apologies to Uncle Jeff if you're listening again. We'll try to tone it down here. All right. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, the Habs. They lost. It sucks. Notice how I didn't swear there. Um. But uh. Yeah. Five games. And yeah. Just the. You know. You look back on the series as a whole. And first of all, you're obviously sad that they lost. And like you know, I'm still left with a bit of feeling of like, well, you know, if everything had gone right, if they hadn't made all those mistakes, if Price hadn't played as badly as he did during the, you know, the first three games of the series, maybe, maybe they could have pulled it off. But then you look back and you're like, you know, you look at the way the Lightning played uh, against the Habs and they just ran them all over the ice. I mean, you know, the Habs hung in there. They were completely dominated. But Tampa Bay, you cannot possibly look at any of those games, except maybe like game two and say, uh, you know, the Habs were the better team. That that just wasn't the case. And so, you know, the Lightning deserved to win. Uh, and yeah, I mean, like the fact that it even got to game five, was a big, you know, it was, you know, the, it was just a, a matter of puck luck because A, they scored an overtime, but B, you know, the lightning hit a whole bunch of posts. I mean, that Kucherov shot that hit the post with like three minutes left, right? Like, how many times has he missed that? A wide open net. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, they, if the Habs were going to come, we're going to win that series, let alone come back from 3 0, um, but uh, win the series at all, they were going to need a, a shit ton of luck. That's, that's one. That's one. Um, but, uh, And it just wasn't, I mean, they had three three rounds of that, basically. So, um, I mean, it just wasn't meant to be. It sucks. But, um, I mean, it wasn't like they got goalied. I mean, Tampa was just a better team.
0: Yeah, I think what Carey Price said at the end of Game 5, kind of, uh, a lot of people were feeling the same way when he said, I'm disappointed, but only about the result. Because, like, Montreal, they've been playing so well up until that point, And for the most part, they continued playing well. Tampa was just that much better. Even, I think, in Game 4, it wasn't just the Kucherov post. Like, Braden Point and Victor Hedman also, earlier in the game, both had, like, great a scoring chances square off the post. That could have easily been a 3-2 or 4-2 or a 5-2 game and the series could have been done right there. And in Game 5, I'm thinking, you know, like, they had some great scoring chances near the end. Caulfield did. I think Corey Perry did too. They just couldn't bury one, and after the game, thinking, "Oh man, they could have just gotten one, pushed it to overtime. Who knows?" But it's not like it's not as if they decidedly deserved to score or got robbed there. And all the like, you know, potential regrets you're thinking. It's more just like, "Oh, we could have gotten lucky. We had a chance if we we only you know got a bounce here or there." But it's definitely nowhere close to uh, them having deserved to to win Game Five the better team won the best team in the NHL one, um, by a lot, I think. And I think one of the only reasons maybe some people aren't looking at them that way is because they didn't finish, you know, near the very top of the regular season standings. But once again, we'll say that is because Kucherov wasn't there and yet they still finished uh third in their division. So this is probably the closest we can get to like, a. Uh, a dynasty, mini dynasty in this day and age, I think Chicago winning three Stanley cups in six years, you know, cause that's a stretch of time. That's, you know, three, I feel like maybe that's the number. So if Tampa gets another cup within the next three years or so, then I think they definitely meet that dynasty threshold.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're absolutely playing like right now. Um, and really you look at in terms of uh, playoff success vibes that I'm getting from a lot of these other teams, uh, that are you know juggernauts or contenders. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if Tampa won uh, three years. Hell, three years in a row. Why the heck not? Um, and uh, well, first of all, is hell counted in the count? I see. How I notice how I just use heck there. Um, but uh, no, hell. Hell's
0: okay. <laughs> uh, that, that one doesn't count. <laughs>
1: okay. Um, but yeah, it's. It, I mean, you look at Colorado. Uh, they had. Well, you know, it wasn't such a bad loss. It was to Vegas. But um, they did lose four straight. And you know, it's been many years of you know, losing in the playoffs. Uh, and Vegas, obviously, year after year, it seems like they find a new and novel way to lose. Uh, this year is losing to the 18th place in the league. Thank you very much. Um, and so, you know, the vibes from these other teams, not excellent. And t- Tampa, meanwhile, it seems like, you know, it's, it didn't look like they were fatigued because, mind you, they've played so much hockey over the past, like, what, 18 months over the course of the pandemic because of the bubble that just ended, like, less than a year ago. Uh, and yet, they still looked hungry. They, still they, It looked like they... Stepped up their game um, as the playoffs went on. And especially against the final. I mean, like, look, they were completely and utterly the better team against the Habs. Now, is that a product of the Habs just not being a, you know, a juggernaut overall? Maybe being weaker than the other teams that the Lightning faced? Perhaps. But also, Tampa just looked really damn good. Um, And, yeah. Dynasty, like, back to back. I am already ready to crown them. Because, yeah, you just don't see it in this day and age. In terms of, uh, you know, the parity. Um... There's always there's always a whole bunch of good teams because of how even the league is. And um to be able to come out on top twice in a row is uh pretty spectacular. Now one thing I mean, to be fair, we did see it four that... times.
0: I mean four years ago with Pittsburgh. It's not like it's unheard of. And that was the one that broke the long drought of like no back to backs. Uh so I mean, yeah, I I maybe retract slightly what I said. Like maybe Dynasty's a bit of a stretch for just two cups in two years and none before that. I think I think I think the third one before we use that word, but that's kind of just a semantic or a personal opinion. And you were you were saying before about how like um, they played so much hockey over the past eighteen months or so, and they played a fair amount more than most other teams because obviously two maximum deep playoff runs. But this season was only fifty six games. There was a several month break before that. The bubble. There was a long break before that, and so I think. Compared to other teams that may have just won back-to-back Stanley Cups, Tampa will be significantly more rested moving forward than, say, Pittsburgh was when they won their back-to-back Cups, especially taking into account the fact that this season was just 56 games. That makes a big difference in terms of, you know, not being fatigued. And Nikita Kucherov uh, wasn't playing for the entirety of it. So he's probably going
1: to be pretty fresh at the start of next season as well. Yep, and that just makes them all the more dangerous. Um, And, all right, one thing I'm still bugged about, and we talked about it, honestly, all playoffs with the Habs. Um, It's the coaching decisions. It's the lineup decisions, night in, night out. And it's just, you know, you look back and you just, I can't believe how stupid it is. I mean, I still don't believe it. Um, it makes no sense, and it just didn't pay off in the final. Now, regardless of whether you put in Thomas Tatar or not, I think it doesn't make that much of a difference in the long run. But, you know, in terms of moving forward, and it looks like is going to get that extension, he's going to get the, the permanent tag for head coach. I mean, he can't go about making these stupid decisions night in, night out. I mean, it's it's completely, it's mind-numbing. I have no idea what's going on. I mean, first of all, Benji Kakaniemi. I don't understand that whatsoever, especially as you head into, you know, a time where you need that offense. You think Eric is going to get you that offense? I hardly, I, I strongly doubt it. Eric Stahl was awful throughout the entire series. I mean, look that that goal in Game Five, the only one that you know, the winner, um, that was kind of a microcosm of well, like the people that were on the ice and who was responsible for that goal. Pretty big, pretty uh, solid microcosm for what was going on basically the entire playoffs in terms of you know what the parts that were going wrong for the Habs. I mean, you have Eric Stahl, who has the puck on the board, who has the puck on the boards, and he has the chance to clear. But he's too slow. He's not thinking. And he just, he can't clear it. Uh, and what does that result in? You know, you get Joel Edmondson, who gets turned by Ross Colton. And, you know, Ben Sherrod doesn't really know what the heck he's doing. Turned uh, and, by Ross Colton. Yeah, got absolute turnstile. And, you know, it's, that, that's it. Those are the three that, I mean, first of all, I mean, especially Stall, he should not be in the lineup. But, you know, Sherrod and Edmondson, you shouldn't be leaning on as, leaning on them as much as, Nearly as much as they were, and let alone playing them at the same time. Are you kidding me, Chara, Edmonton? You think that's going to bring success at the same time on the ice? Um, you just have two of your absolute traffic cones just standing there, uh, and meanwhile, you for like the majority of the series and majority of the playoffs, you had Brett Kulak on the bench on the sidelines. You had Alex Romanov not playing at all, uh, and yeah, the, the mysterious decisions continue. And I, I'm not hopeful for the future in terms of Deschamps correcting his behavior because he was rewarded for it and they got to the cup final yep and now might be a good time to
0: mention also that uh Joël Bouchard left the Laval Rocket uh their head coach we we praised endlessly every time we brought up every time we brought up how much improvement there has been in the Habs development system ever since Joël Bouchard showed up and the vibe that I was picking up is that now that Ducharme appears to you know, have his job pretty much locked in, Joel Bouchard, there's no path forward for him to become an NHL coach in Montreal for the foreseeable future. So we decided to pack up and head over to the San Diego Gulls of the American Hockey League, the Anaheim Ducks affiliate, and the Ducks head coach is Dallas Eakins right now, uh, which is a fact that I'm sure very few people in the entire world knew. So I think that is a much easier path for Joël Bouchard to become head coach there. Because Dallas Eakins, I mean, first of all, the Ducks were absolutely terrible this past year, so he's on a short leash to begin with. And Dallas Eakins is also in a situation where the Ducks are rebuilding, so there's a chance that, you know, Dallas Eakins is probably, as as they say, the guy before the guy for them. And that when Anaheim feels they're ready to turn the corner, maybe they'll look to Joël Bouchard and say, all right, you're our new head coach. Uh, so, I mean, good for them, because they got an extremely talented development coach
1: yeah absolutely and so in that sense he absolutely fits that organization in terms of their timeline because they're rebuilding obviously and yeah he's proven to be an excellent deve- development coach uh, in the ahl and i'm sure if he does make the jump which i think it will um in anaheim um because i don't think uh dallas Eakins uh, is long uh at that job um uh it- it's just, uh, and, and it'll be great. It'll be great for them too. I mean, you have a whole bunch of young players and who'll know how, who'll know how to use them, unlike a certain coach in Montreal right now and a certain pass coach in Montreal. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would have liked to, you know, like looking back, you know, like, you know, maybe I would have liked to see Bouchard given a shot here in Montreal. Um, obviously that was never going to happen. Now that Ducharme's, uh, that I mean, that decision was made very easy by this cup run in uh, Berger eyes, and I guess most people's eyes. Um, you know, a coach brings you to a final, you're not going to. You're not going to fire him right away. Uh, You're not going to replace him um, with an AHL coach of all things. Um, But I don't know. I don't. I still don't trust Ducharme. He still gives vaguely, like not vaguely, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty clear incompetence vibes. Um, And you know that comes from his lineup decisions. And I don't trust him at all. I mean, his system's fine. It's just Claude Julien's system. But his lineup decisions, nothing. I I don't trust him at all.
0: Yep. Um. You know who? Uh. Who says that? I don't know. I was trying to do a clever segue, uh, but I it kind of fell flat. Anyway, Nikita Kucherov. Uh, let's talk about the things he said after the game, shirtless and drunk, um, because I thought they were pretty funny. And for some reason, it took a while. I found for most people to realize it was funny. A lot of the initial reaction was, "Oh, why would he say something like that?" And then people kind of said, "Ah, you know what? It's actually pretty funny." Um, in chronological order, basically, the first stuff was about Vasilevsky. We was talking about how he was robbed for the Vesna two years in a row and he was like, They gave it to whatever the guy in Vegas, uh, and all those things, and that was after Vasilevsky won the Smythe very deservingly. And then totally unprompted, he decided to bring up the fact that Montreal fans acted like they won the Stanley Cup after winning game four. And he was like, God, oh, give me a break. Their final was last round and I <laughs> thought that, that was absolutely hilarious. Not because it's a correct take, because celebrating after your team wins is pretty normal fan behavior. Uh, I, but I just thought it was so funny oh, that they, they celebrated too hard and that he seemed actually frustrated at at Habs fans. And I was like, this is funny. This is pretty unique.
1: <laughs> I mean, this is why we need more some more loose-lipped players in the league. I mean... You know, they say fun, nature stupid stuff like this, and we all get to laugh at him um, and laugh with him, I guess, a bit um, because you know he just won the cup. So you know how much can you really laugh at the guy? Uh, but uh, I mean, yeah, it, it, what is what is what exactly is he implying? What kind of behavior is he expecting from the Haz fans? Um, apparently, okay, so we're down three nothing. Well, you know what? I think I think what he expects is like hockey players. You know, after you know if they're down five nothing and they score the five one goal, you know. Um, maybe we just don't celebrate as much, but, uh, I mean, come on fans here. Uh, we don't yeah, subscribe totally to the different. dumb hockey code. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, yeah. And it was, uh, and, and it was also a completely unnecessary dig too. Uh, like, uh, the, the whole, like, you know, your Stanley cup, your, your finals was last round is, um, I don't know how to take that. Like, <laughs> what is supposed that supposed to mean? Won? I, I don't know.
0: I, I I Did also we win our no finals? A, yeah, did we win our finals? I guess so. Clarence has Campbell trophy. I hope I really hope they hang a banner for that. I but anyway. I was gonna say, yeah. Yeah, I, um man, I it's it's so because I don't even know where I'm, where I'm going with this because it was just such a, a shocking thing to say. And I think part of it part of the reason maybe Kucherov doesn't understand that Montreal partied so hard is that none of us Expected to win a single game in this Stanley Cup final, especially once they <laughs> yeah. were down three nothing. And like, if that happened on the Tampa side of things, that they were down three nothing and then they won a game, I'm sure they wouldn't have gone as crazy as Montreal fans did. But I gotta say, you know, winning that one game instead of getting swept feels pretty nice. I gotta say, feels pretty nice it to lose five instead of four for for team Absolutely. morale, you know, or whatever. fan morale to boost it. They got that special moment, the overtime goal. So, uh, you know what, Kucherov. Um, uh, I I I disagree. There we go. But speak your mind because it really, it it wasn't classless. It wasn't offensive.
1: I really don't care. Yeah, exactly. And it just made for a funny moment, right? And uh, God knows the league needs more of that. Okay. All right. Um, moving on. I I can't. I can't. I'm not good. I I didn't think of any sort of segue. Um, but I guess we'll stick with the Habs um wow, because, we are uh, butchering yeah.
0: these segues today
1: <laughs> yeah i've, I've never I've, I've never been one for the segues I've always left that to you uh but uh anyways speaking of people who butchered their jobs um <laughs> Mark Bergerva <laughs> apparently uh so uh he so okay so we've talked you know in the past in the past few weeks as, as the Habs have you know, found their success in the playoffs. How okay? Looks like Bergeron is going to get extended for the rest of his life. Um, and this guy can do as he pleases for the next 27 years. Um, but um, so yeah, I think it was it was 31 thoughts, right? That uh, from Elliot Friedman. Who, yeah, uh, he wrote that article. Okay, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so Elliot Friedman's 31 thoughts. I think from today or yesterday. Uh, During his end-of-season media availability on Friday, Montreal Canadiens GM Mark Bergevin said, I have one more year under contract, and I will honor that. He added, the last 16 months were tough on me. Mentally, it was very difficult. Prior to the end of the regular season, there was plenty of reason to believe owner Jeff Molson was firmly in Bergevin's corner and had offered the GM an extension, but one source wanted to be careful. He said Bergevin was burnt out and may not want to return. At the very least, today's comments are some confirmation of that. Staying another season gives everyone time to breathe, but it's not like the white-hot spotlight of Montreal is going to decrease. I do wonder if Bergeron and Molson discuss a new front office structure where Bergeron moves up to a president of hockey operations-type role and either Scott Mellenby or Martin Lapointe becomes GM. What are your thoughts? Do you have 31 of them? What
1: are my thoughts? No, oh, no, I don't. Sorry. Um, I don't have 31 thoughts in one day, um, let alone right now. But, uh, okay, so this is interesting. This is really interesting because, um, well, both alternatives. So, first of all, I mean, okay, I think it, it kind of makes sense, though, right, that he was burnt out. First of all, you know, the spotlight, the pressure, I get it, all that. It's tough. But, like, you know, now that in retrospect, the level of excitement that he felt after, you know, the Habs won – Um really seems like the guy kind of the kind of celebration of a guy who sure seemed like he was destined for failure, especially after, uh, you know, game four of uh, the first round. Uh, and I mean, it like his, his luck completely changed 180 degrees. And this guy was just completely letting loose because he was like a child, um, uh, yeah. as they were celebrating. Right. Um, and looking back, I'm like, yeah, that kind of behavior checks out. Like, you know, I'm sure he's very passionate about the team, but also like, I mean, it sure it sure seemed like you know, like you know, the Habs like struggling to even make the playoffs against Calgary, you know, at the end of the regular season, and everybody's talking about how this guy's about to lose his job, and all of a sudden, you know, um, his team starts winning like out of nowhere. Um, I mean, in that sense, it, it, I think it really makes sense, um, and it kind of explains his uh, just the sheer level of extreme excitement that he felt. Um, but uh, yeah, as for as for moving forward, I mean, okay, all right, Mike, my, my stance on Mark Bergevin still remains the same which is that he is not going to build a championship roster um say what you will about you know the fact that they made it to the final this year i remain completely unconvinced that this is a team capable of winning a Stanley Cup um especially in the future like you know they they required the the, the this this long 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 streak of you know great puck bounces and you know great shooting percentages and teams choking left and right um to get even to the final and even then you know like they flamed out against the lightning because they just weren't good enough you know, simply put. And I don't think Bergman is able to build a team because of his defense, like vision for the defense to build a team that is good enough to win the cup. And, you know, barring some other massive hot streak. Um, so, I mean, look, I that, that was the thing, right? So, I thought, you know, I thought for sure this guy was coming back. He's going to get an extension. And if it means he's going to leave his job, frankly, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm still looking for a change here at the general manager position. This finals run has not given me any sort of, uh, you know, what? He hasn't gotten any extra leash from me. That's what I'm saying here. Um, Because I don't think moving forward, like, when are we going to win a cup? Not in the next five years, I don't think. Um, And so not with the team that he's put together. So in that sense, like, if it pushes him out of the job, I'll take it.
0: I think an an interesting part of that was it it made it sound like it might even be as soon as this off season that Bergman gets switched to a president of hockey operations role and Melon Biro Lapointe becomes the new GM. And I'd be interested to see how, a dynamic like that works i'm always kind of confused when a gm gets quote unquote promoted to president of hockey operations i think it happened in, in florida a couple years ago i think it happened in chicago a couple years ago it happened with the golden knights recently when uh, george mcphee got promoted to ho- president of hockey operations and kelly mccrimmon became the new gm and i'm pretty sure in situations like that mcphee still has a very a pretty heavy hand in the hockey decisions um, and it's not, you know, all up to the GM to make trades and signings and all that, um, but I assume his role in that field would be diminished. I also assume that Scott Mellenby and Martin LaPointe would pretty much be on the same page as Mark Bergevin is in terms of vision for the future, so as long as Bergevin's around in any sort of capacity, I don't think that, you know, vision of the defense that we've criticized nonstop would really change that much. But it does sound a lot like whatever the case is for this coming season. After that, Bergevin's at very least heavily considering leaving the Habs and not signing an extension, Uh, maybe retiring or maybe just taking a couple years off from front office. I don't know. But either way, I think at the end of the upcoming 21-22 season, there's going to be not just a new GM, but maybe even some more shake up in the front office. Especially if, you know, Montreal misses the playoffs this upcoming season. We might get more fresh faces in there than we would be anticipating.
1: Yeah, and, you know, like, if it sounds like the reason why he doesn't want to come back is that he's burnt out, right? And a guy that's burnt out, I don't think he's seeking a promotion, right? Um, you know, president of Hockey Ops, where he's still very much under the public eye. Um, because he's got, he's just an even higher up title now. Um, and he'll still be, I think, held very accountable for, you know, how the team does. I mean, you think to like the the current president of Akiops around the league, I mean, they're still very much tied to their team success. You know, their name comes up when it comes to, uh, trades and transactions and all that. Um, and so to think that, you know, kicking him up, um, at a level would ease the stress on him. I don't think that would work, frankly. Um, and so that's why, you know, from the, uh, and you know, I wish him well in terms of his mental health. I I really do. I really do hope that um, you know he finds himself in a good mental spot. Um, but from a uh, team construction perspective, um, from a from a uh, trying to get him out of the job because I don't think he's very good at a perspective. Um, I think there's a real, real chance that after next year, re- like you know, if regardless of uh, how the team does, if Bergeron is burnt out, I don't think he's coming back even in a higher role.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know after this upcoming season, I'm guessing that he's probably done with the team. That s- sort of promotion is just potentially for this upcoming season that is, you know, promotion on paper, but actually would probably diminish his role in the upcoming season. There's a chance he, he would want something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, But then again... Like, I'm, I'm quite, I'm wondering here, what is he burnt out from? Like, is he burnt out from, like, the day-to-day general manager work, or is it really the public criticism? What do you think? I think it's public criticism. And if you guys bumped up role, I don't think it really alleviates that kind of pressure. I really, I don't think that's only it. I think it probably is mostly
0: the actual work and the actual, you know, nonstop doing the same job for nine years in a row. And I'm sure the public criticism doesn't help him, uh, you know, love his job anymore, but I think it. I imagine it mostly is the actual work that he constantly has to do and the amount of brain space this team takes up within him.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And, um, yeah, so overall, I'm just – this came out of fucking nowhere. Oh, that's too. Yeah, really um, But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I was fully ready to go the next, like, three, four, five years, given Molson's attachment to uh, Bergeron, um, where he was going to have free reign. And, like, this kind of renewed his term, this whole finals run. Um, and I think Ducharme was going to come along for the ride because he was the coach for the whole thing. And yeah, I, I like, it really did come out of nowhere and I'm like really still taken aback by it. And I mean, this is, I guess this was really the only way that was, this was going to happen. Right. Um, if Bergeway, if Bergeway was done and he wanted to leave, um, and I didn't think that was going to happen. I, but, uh, here we yeah. are because I don't think Molson was ever going to fire him. Um, I don't think Molson likes him too much. Right. I think Molson likes him too much. So yeah, it's really surprising stuff. Speaking of people who want diminished
0: roles with their current teams, Vladimir Tarasenko wants his role with oh, the St. Louis oh blues God. diminished to 0%. Oh. He wants his role with the blues diminished to 0%. Oh. He asked for a trade. I think that's oh. my best segue ever. Um, I agree. Yes. Oh, thank you. God. Thank you very much. Oh, so Vladimir terrible. Tarasenko has requested a trade from the St. Louis blues. He's had three shoulder surgeries in the past. I think it's, 28 months and this was one of the most prolific shooters in the NHL uh this year in 24 games he had four goals before that he had three goals in 10 games so he has not played a lot the past two seasons before that though he was money in the bank for at least 30 goals he hit 41 year he is he was at least an elite shooter now with all the shoulder problems he's had It's really a question mark whether he's going to be able to return to that form. And for that reason, even though he has a great track record, I'd be hesitant to give up too much for him. He's 29. He does only have two years left, so it's not too big of a commitment if it doesn't work out, but it is at $7.5 per year. And this is honestly the type of player that I'm really struggling to get a gauge on what the asking price and what the market price is for someone who was so good. And then has barely played the past two years and has a significant injury that might hamper his strongest strength as a strongest his
1: his biggest strength as a player. Yeah, for me, I think the uh, the biggest question mark, I don't think is the trade value so much as how washed is this guy? Um, Because like I don't really because first of all, I don't think he was fully healthy when he returned. Um, and I think the off season will do him good, but just how much good, I think is a huge question because we haven't seen this guy play healthy in like two years. Right. And, and, um, and it's not like we've seen him play, you know, quote unquote healthy and play poorly. Right. I I think he was injured the entire time. And so his stretch of poor play this season, um, I mean, you definitely take into account, but I don't know if that's representative of his, uh, talent at this point in time, um, and next season and the season after. So yeah, this one's uh, this is interesting, um, and I think the asking price will be a big factor. I, first of all, I think um, you know the seven and a half million. I assume that that'll be uh, that'll be halved by St. Louis um, in a trade because I don't think anybody has that kind of cap space for a twenty year old, twenty nine year old, you know, shooter coming off of two, three shoulder surgeries. Um, so you know, I don't think that's a go uh, in terms of the full cap hit. Um, but aside from that, it's an interesting. I assume it's a buy low candidate. I mean, I don't think. See, that's the thing. I don't think GMs are clamoring to get this guy. Um, he's unhappy. He's had the surgeries. I mean, this is a very, very risky play, especially if you're giving up significant assets. And I don't see any general managers doing it. Now, then again, we see the Oilers going after Duncan Keith. So who knows? But my initial instinct is that there, this this would be a buy low candidate and one that could potentially work out. You know, um, if his shoulder is healed. I don't. I don't. I don't know what the status is on the shoulder though. And that's obviously the, the huge thing. Um, and yeah, so from the sound of it, yeah, the situation in St. Louis with him is really bad. Like, um, he doesn't trust the doctors anymore. And cause I guess something went wrong. They didn't properly fix it. That's why he had so many surgeries. And so that's a, that's a bad situation. And so I think general manager looking at that they're not going to go up too much. And so I think it's a real, real buy low candidate. And for a team with a lot of cast space, I think it could be interesting. I think you could, if you could, uh, kind of rehab is to rehab it rehab him if he's not washed then you got yourself some value but i would i would like it's if it's not by low stay the hell away yeah i'm
0: looking through some teams now trying to figure out who Tarasenko might be going to and i tend to when i you know like some big name player with a big cap hit gets in these trade rumors i always start at the bottom of the who has the most cap space list and there are teams like New Jersey and Columbus around there, but you know, I'm going off like, well, does any team have like a comparable player who they might be wanting to move on from? What do you think about like a Terrasenko plus for Johnny Goudreau situation? Goudreau has like just one year left before he becomes a uFA
1: I mean that's that's a no <laughs> um if i'm if I'm Calgary, I mean. I think Gaudreau still has plenty of value. I think you know playoff success and whatnot. I don't, so maybe don't build your core around Johnny Gaudreau, but it's not like you're building your core around Vladimir Tarasenko either, right? So the for the Flames, I think you're trying to recoup futures, or at the very least, a younger player, um, because I think Johnny Gaudreau very much still has a top six value on the second line or something for for a contender, um, and I mean for Tarasenko, are you kidding me? That's such a that's a hard no. I mean, like, what value does Tarasenko bring to the Flames? Um, I don't really see it.
0: One of my favorite things to do is come up with an idea on the spot on the podcast and then have you tell me why it sucks, uh, which I totally <laughs> it's a agree recurring with you. Bit. If I had thought about it for an extra 10 seconds, I would have come to the exact same conclusion that you just came to. Um, I, like, what, what was the one where I was like, oh, what if what if, like, healthy scratches got to join the other team? <laughs> And then you were like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. And here are like 20 reasons why. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> anyway. uh, Yeah, so another trade rumor is that Vancouver, who was very interested in Oliver Ekman Larson last offseason, is still interested in him. And apparently that was one of the reasons, apparently Jim Bannon couldn't keep Toffoli, was that he was just spending way too much time trying to acquire <laughs> Oliver Ekman Larson, that Toffoli <laughs> just slipped through the cracks. Oh, well. But anyway, now Vancouver wants to trade Nate Schmidt, who was only on the team for this season, is making 5.95 AAV for the next while and didn't really fit in with the Canucks that great. Wants to move on from him, and everyone's going, well, if you can get a good return for Nate Schmidt, that's probably smart, you know? He's overpaid, he didn't fit in, get some assets back for him. But the problem is that they're doing it with the main goal of clearing up the space or some of the space required to... Acquire Oliver Ekman Larson, who was signed until 2027, I believe, was that it? at $8.25 million a year. He has had his fair share of injury troubles as well, and over the past four seasons or so, he's absolutely plummeted from top-tier underrated defenseman all the way down to, to downright bad, at the very least downright bad in the minutes he's been forced to play. He could probably be like a number four defenseman moving forward, but he is grossly overpaid. And should he get traded to the Canucks, he would join their large pantheon of grossly overpaid underperformers.
1: Oh man, it really doesn't get like, it just doesn't stop getting worse in Vancouver. It doesn't stop getting funnier in Vancouver. I mean, this is just, this is just another level. This is just another level. It's like every smart move because I think the smart move with Natureman is to move off him right now because you know he doesn't fit. He's not working in Vancouver. This guy's got I don't know how many years left on his contract, four, five. Um, and his value, if he stays in Vancouver, I believe, is only going to go down because you know more years of not fitting, poor play. Um, I mean, he's only he's only what two years of room from not being on Vancouver. So I mean, you know, teams I think we're still willing to give this guy a shot. He's like he's he's not above thirty yet, and so. Yeah, I mean, I think moving off of Nate Schmidt is a good idea. And then, but like, you know, you have that good news, I guess, if I'm a, if I'm a Canucks fan, you know, the fact that they're looking to trade Nate Schmidt, they're getting ahead of the curve, so to speak, almost. Um, I think that's a bit of good news. And then to have that completely overshadowed by the worst possible news I could possibly imagine as, as, as being a fan, um, that you're acquired. Well, OK, maybe not the worst possible news. But really bad, bad, bad news would be to learn that my team is trying to acquire Oliver Ekman-Larsen, Larson, is in contention for worst contract in the entire NHL. Um, definitely up there in the top five. I mean, six more years of his washed play. Um, No, I, I don't know what the heck this guy is seeing. What is he evaluating? I don't understand. He was really is good he five years ago. Tape? Yeah, okay, that's it. I was going to say, he's just evaluating the tape from 2014. That's all he's doing, um, and it's completely mind-blowing. I don't understand. I don't understand how this guy could go, you know who we should have acquire? We should blow up the farm. We should give away Tyler. to We should let him walk to get of Oliver ekman Larson, who's been bad for like two, three years. Um, and so, oh, my God. I don't understand how you can be so stupid. I could run the Canucks better than this. I truly can because he just keeps making bad decisions. Somebody take the fucking phone away from Jim Benning. He's terrible, at, and he doesn't stop being terrible. At the very least,
0: at the very least, you could provide significant value to the Canucks, even not running them, but just joining their current front office with the power of a veto button. Jim Benning wants to make a bad move. You press the veto button and say, "Nope, can't do that." And he, there's nothing he can say about it. You would be yeah, worth, you know, you know th- at least a million dollars.
1: And and you know, like the you know the whole there's the a whole draft experiment a few years ago or like an analysis was like, you know, what would do better a potato or Jim Benning Um, or no, no, not Jim Benning, but like your average general manager. Um, But that, that, that draft implied that the potato was drafting the best available player. If a potato did what an actual potato would do, which is literally nothing, this team would do better than with Jim Benning. I, I really am having trouble coming up with any single executive who brings as much negative value to their franchise as he does. It's completely mind blowing. It's completely, mi- how is he, how is he still on the job? What even? He only has bad ideas. He's really charismatic though. <laughs> right, right. That's what we have in the press conferences, right? He always looks, all looks so, that personality so
0: <laughs> and he has such personality he alive. and he really, and he really wants to draft a power play defenseman.
1: Man, truly really baffling. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. But um, hey, I'm here to laugh at it, uh, and laugh I will. And I really hope this goes through. Please, please, can he trade for can the trade can the trade actually happen? Like there's all this talk. Can he like, get Can he get Ekman Larson and
0: Duncan Keith? That's the big question. And extend them. That's what I, I want. Extend them both. Yeah. Well, he can't extend Ekman Larson yet, and he can't extend Keith till the end of the season but I'm sure he'll You'll be chomping at the bit. I'm sure he'll be chomping at the bit to get a chance to extend those two former Norris contenders and one former Norris winner. Uh, oh, there's something else I wanted to talk about, actually, uh, in terms of the Canadians. I feel like yeah. because there's obviously, you know, the off season is about to get into full swing. The expansion draft lists are due do a week from today and probably next week we're going to do like a, a Seattle expansion. I don't know if like mock draft or maybe just a, a deep look into things um that'll mostly be next week and then it'll be the actual draft free agency all that stuff and I feel like I want to talk a little bit about trying to figure out what Montreal's off season, off season is going to look like specifically as it pertains to their pending UFAs I don't think Merrill's coming back I don't think Gustafson's coming back I really don't think Eric Stahl coming back and I hope he doesn't um Thomas Tatar Stinks. he deserved a better ending uh in his time with his time in montreal because he was excellent for the three years he was here and i wish he got into a couple more playoff games than he did uh but i don't see him coming back mostly because of that uh and that leaves cory perry who today expressed interest in coming back to montreal next season which i like very much because Corey perry was one of the biggest pleasant surprises of the year and armia who's I think is kind of like a 50-50 at this point. Can they make the money work? Can they come to an agreement? And Philip Dano, who's obviously the most important one of all of them and has probably made himself some extra cash than he would have gotten if he took that six by five million per deal that he turned down at the start of the season.
1: Yeah, so I agree on, uh, you know, what was it? Stahl's gone. Army is gone. We'd love to see Perry back on a cheap deal. For, you know, one or two more years. Preferably one, but maybe he's looking for two. And it's a low cap, but I certainly don't mind giving it to him. Um, yeah, so tatar has gone for sure. Um, and as for Armia, I think there's just... Um, the Habs can do without him. And I think he can find a, a solid contract elsewhere that the Habs don't need to pay as much for. Um, because they have the forward depth for it. Obviously, he's a nice piece. He's very good on the penalty kill. And he's a very good, you know, bottom six guy. Um, but, uh, I think someone will be able to offer him a significant amount of money just because, you know, it brings some value. Um, and he's like, not that old. He's like, what? 28. Um, so yeah, the big question is that, no, uh, and right. It was six by five that he was offered and apparently he turned it down and it sure seems like he turned it down from what he says to the media. Um, that, uh, yeah, he didn't accept that contract. And, uh, I mean, look at him now. Um, do I, do I, do I think we should bring him back, man? That's fucking tough. Um, what do you think he's looking for now? I think he's looking for I'm... six. He's probably like six by six, maybe. That's a lot. Yeah, I don't want to Dano's do a, six Dano's by six. a
0: really tough one because you think about like Tampa Bay, you know, their premier defensive center is Anthony Cirelli and he provides offense too, which Philip Deno doesn't. He's really. Philip Deneau can neutralize the other team's superstar players very effectively, even though he's not a superstar himself. And that's extremely valuable. But you know who else can neutralize, say, Braden Point is a Braden Point level player. And I know that those are very hard to find. But ideally, you want to, you know, fight a high-powered offensive team with more high-power offense so that you can score more goals in them and not someone who's just really good at neutralizing them and being an even split when he's on the ice. So, and that's one of the reasons I'm hesitant to be like, yeah, Philip Danosha shut down Brady points. So if he's as valuable as him, you know, give him six and a half million dollars. And I'm, I'm sh- so sure that if Philip Benno wanted to hit the open market, there would be an insane bidding war and he would probably get close to like a 7 million AAV. And at that point I'm like, all right, go, go take the money, Phil. Thanks for, thanks for your time here. But, we're going to have to try and figure out something without you.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, you can't, the, the thing is the Habs, especially, you know, you have Price and Weber's contracts anchoring the cap space. Um, you can't give that kind of money when you have, you know, Kakeniemi mean, who's at he is an RFA this year, right? Um, so he needs a new contract. Uh, you got Suzuki coming up and you'll have Caulfield coming up, I think in two years um, with those in mind, and they're all going to command more money, especially as, you know, I assume that they're going to continue playing well that increases their value. Uh, and so I don't, I don't see the cap space. I think frankly, um, you know, moving forward, I think he's a third center um, because he doesn't bring any offensive value and he brings lots and lots. He brings selkie levels uh, worth of defensive value. But I like, I don't know about committing that much money when you have your one and two C presumably in your system already playing in the HL in the NHL playing very well. Um, I think at this point he's become replaceable. Um if the halves were still very weak at center, I don't think you could say that about him. Um but the fact of the matter is you got to choose your how you're going to allocate your cap space. Um and with with Kokaniemi and Suzuki coming up and they're con- they need new contracts, I don't think you can afford to allocate three uh three centers worth of top 6 centers. Like you know what I mean? Like you can't you can't pay for three of those. I mean, if one of them's on a rookie deal, that's fantastic. And maybe you can add that extra value, like, you know, like a Dano contract. But now that those those younger contracts are coming up uh, and they'll need raises, I don't think it, the money's there in the budget. And I think you just have to allocate the cap space elsewhere. Uh, and so, you know, now that I think about it, I've talked myself into, I really don't think we should be giving him even $6 million um, or even maybe five and a half over six years to Philip Dano because... I think the solution's already there. I think his replacement's are already there. And if he's your third center, or even if he's your second center and, you know, Cockney Emmy's your third center, like now you're paying Cockney Emmy second line center money when he's playing on the third center. And there are other parts of your roster, notably the defense, where you could be spending that money.
0: Philip, I know, absolutely still would be the second center. Well, the second center if he came back next year and Cockney Emmy would be behind him and probably Jake Evans number four. And that's one reason I'm worried about losing Dano, is that I'm not convinced Kotkaniemi is a number two center yet. At least not yet. Do I think he will be? Probably. Um, And so that if they do lose Dano, I do think they're going to need to bring in an immediate replacement slash upgrade for him at center. Like... I know David Craigie, for example, is the first one off the top of my head is UFA. If they lose Dano, maybe they bring in David Craigie on like a, a two year contract, something like that. Or maybe they, you know, go after Kuznetsov or Jack Eichel in a trade or something like that. But I don't think I'm confident in the HAB's current centers to say that they can lose Dano, not bring in another center, and be fine moving forward with Suzuki, Kotkinemi, Jake Evans, and Ryan Paling. Uh, not just because they're all so young. I just, I don't think the four of them combined are are good enough for that. Not to mention, that would mean, they have a repeat of the problem where they have four centers who can play center and none of their wingers can step in in a pinch if needed.
1: Right. And so, yeah, you make a good point, but I don't think that knows the answer there um, because it's the term. For me, it's the term. I mean, if, if, if you could sign him to big money for a couple of years, I'd be all for that. Um, for more money, you know, like if you give him, I don't know, 6 million, um, six and a half, uh, and you lock him up for it, but it seems like he wants to turn right. Uh, by all indications. And so, and I'm not comfortable giving him that not knowing entirely where cockney, cockney development is going to go. But the fact that he still has a lot of room to grow as, as a center, um, you know, I don't want to bind myself to, you know, handcuff, handcuff myself with that old contract, like four or five years down the road. Um, especially four or five de- years down the road, you're still gonna have Price and Weber. Um, wow, their contracts really just anchor the whole situation. Um, but you know, it, 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 it is the reality of the situation. It's what you have to deal with when making these decisions, right? Uh, and I don't think uh, it's the term. It's really, really the term. Like you know, like I don't think the AAV is the problem. It's that I don't think long term. You know, as Suzuki, you know, gets to that third contract, perhaps after he gets to, after he finishes this one. Like, are you really gonna be able to afford to keep him if you have Dano at like six million dollars?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited, though, that it does sound like Corey Perry's going to come back. That's, that was a nice little ray of sunshine oh, I yeah. saw today that he wants to return. And it'll probably be for pretty cheap again. Maybe not League Mid again, but probably like about a million dollars. So that'll be nice. And it'll probably be, you know, more found money. Um, let's move on to a fun activity that I thought of. Uh, earlier on this week, that we are going to do, which is uh, you know spreading paywalled material uh, without permission <laughs> from the Athletic. Uh, so basically, um, as you may remember, last year during the playoffs, when Montreal was out in the first round uh, to the Flyers after winning the play-in against the Penguins, we started a segment every week where we would profile two prospects for the upcoming draft and talk about them research talk about them way like, oh, pros and cons, all that kind of thing. This year, we didn't do that because we were too busy focusing on the fact that the Canadians were still in the playoffs, which means that now with the draft being under two weeks away, I personally am less prepared than ever for it and know very little about any of the top players, let alone anyone outside of the first round whose names I probably wouldn't even recognize. So we're going to do a little bit of a cram session today. All right, you know, instead of, you know, we didn't pace ourselves, we didn't go two per week, we are basically going to look through the entire the entirety of the most recent athletic round one mock draft from July 8th, so a couple days ago, where it looks like a bunch of writers alternated making picks for the teams that they write for. And we're going to tell you about the picks. We're going to read uh, some of what was said about the picks, and then we're going to formulate our own opinions on the spot. How does that sound?
1: All right, let's do it. Okie dokes. So, all right. Do you have any thoughts beforehand? On. Do you, all right. So
0: what, what do you nope. think? Do you, do you have any preconceived notions about some of these top prospects before we get going?
1: Okay. All right. I have next to nothing uh, in terms of preconceived notions, in terms of knowledge, um, yeah, it really has not been a draft year just because, uh, you know, a draft has entered coverage year for me. Um, because, yeah, as you mentioned, that hasn't been in the playoffs. And so who cares about the draft? They're trying to win the cup right now. Um, and so, yeah, um, I recognize a bunch of the names. But even that like I'm looking through the list right now and I get to like heck number five. And it's like, who's Simon Edvinson? Spoiler alert. But who the heck is that? Um, and so, you know, you that's learn. That's, that's, the point. <laughs> that's the point we've reached right now where I can't recognize the fifth-ranked prospect in the athletic mock draft. And uh, you know what? I'm okay with it. I'm going to do a whole bunch of cramming before the draft. But, um, you know, the Habs are picking 30, 31st this year. Um, so, I mean, it's not like the studying. Wow. It's, we just we really don't know who's going to be available there. And so it's not like the studying perhaps would have paid off in terms of predicting the Habs pick. I mean, it's obviously valuable to know all the prospects. From my general knowledge and tell knowledge, but um, in terms of the Habs, I mean, it's very hard to predict who's even going to be on the board there, um, let alone who they value. But uh, yeah, no, I know yeah. nothing that's, and I'm ready to uh, learn. Uh, that's funny
0: because in recent years, 31st pick meant they won the Stanley Cup this year, it means finalist. But actually, even though it is technically the 31st pick, it will be the 30th player taken because the Coyotes, that's uh, true. <laughs> yeah, their, their pick uh, was, was stolen from them when they violated the rules. Anyway, let's begin. So Buffalo Sabres first overall in this mock draft from Michigan, the Big Ten, Owen Power. And I won't read word for word what uh, what John Vogel wrote, but here's some of it. He said, Power is the most talented player in the class. The organization will have the best asset available. Power's desire to return to Michigan for one more season. Has no impact on the selection. It's better for him to go dominate in the NCAA than get pounded on a non-playoff team anyway. Someday, Power and Rasmus Dalin will make an impressive blue line foundation. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, one of the reasons all the hockey men love Owen Power is that along with being pretty good, he also happens to be like six foot six. So obviously that bumps up his ranking a little bit in uh in any year.
1: Yeah uh i mean they love the size right um but uh yeah apparently he can uh skate very well and he's a puck mover and so this is not this is not just your typical uh big man which you know that's why he's like uh the number one rated prospect on uh, a lot of these draft boards so uh you know it's it's interesting with buffalo right because uh first of all they seem to screw up everything and so you know for a guy like power who you know doesn't seem like the kind of player who will be ready off the bat you know he'll as I said just now, I mean, he's probably going to go, he's going to go back to the NCAA, um, which means, which implies that there's going to be a degree of development with open power. Do I trust the Buffalo Sabres with that? Absolutely. I do not. Um, but I mean, heck, they screwed it up with Rasmus Dalin. but I mean, if he's the best player available, you got to take him. And he seems that, uh, I mean, size wise, skill wise, he seems like uh, he fits the mold for your, your prototypical NHL defenseman and what these general managers are looking for uh, when they're drafting defensemen. Yeah. Honestly, I feel
0: like um, Owen power probably will develop pretty well uh, despite the Buffalo Sabres, just because he's making the decision by himself. I'm going back to Michigan uh, and I'll stay there for one extra year, maybe even two. And I'll develop there totally separated from the toxicity of the Buffalo Sabres. And then by the time I'm ready to join in, I'll already be good and they won't have any development to do of me, or at least they or at least most of it will have already been done. Second pick, Seattle Kraken. Matthew Beneers, written by Ryan S. Clark, he said, uh, Going with Beneers would give the Kraken a six-foot-one 2 two-way center that can play a number of different roles. They would also get a prospect who can develop without needing to be rushed once he's ready to move on from Michigan. So he's Owen Powers' teammate, actually, over at Michigan, and he's probably going to be going back there, too. One pattern you'll see is that there are no prospects in this draft who anyone appears to think are NHL-ready. Part of that is maybe the fact that so many of them uh, you know, didn't play this past season or didn't play much this past season because of COVID. Uh, and most of that though is because it is a pretty weak draft. Um, a lot of people might recognize this name from the American World Junior Team, where he was a line mate of Cole Caulfield and Matthew Boldys, and he was really impressive there. And I was like, oh man, look out for this guy. He's probably gonna go at the top of the draft.
1: Yeah, and so you know, your your point on uh like just how a not HL ready this is. And also just how uh, kind of unpredictable this draft is going to be. I mean, you look from mock draft to mock draft and like your top five, even your top 10 is just all very, very scrambled. And you know, Owen power seems to be a consensus number one, but then again, would we be surprised if it be surprising for somebody else? Maybe a bit, but not really. And not to the level that we would be on like any other year. Um, And yeah. So I think first of all, like it, it really is the reps, right? Um, if you haven't played... First of all, you talk about 2020. They didn't play for a big chunk of that because of the pandemic. And then, uh, you know, the 2020-2021 season, I mean, there's a number of leagues that didn't play play at all. Some of them abridged schedules. Uh, So, yeah, in that sense. And so, you know, A, the scouts aren't nearly as certain as what what they're getting uh, as they would be in a normal year. And B, I just think the players haven't advanced in their development as as much as they normally would. Uh, And so... Yeah, so that was the thing, right? When Buffalo won the won the draft lottery, it was like, Yeah, well, good for them, you know. That's 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 great luck. But it's just there. it's just the Buffalo Sabres luck. That it would be the year where nobody really knows what they're talking about when it comes to the 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 draft prospect because, well, they haven't been playing at all. Um, so yeah. So Matthew Bonier's to the Seattle Kraken. I mean, that's very interesting. Um, I mean that gives them a a top two pick center. So like, you know, that gives, that's uh that's flashy. That's flashy. You know, like a center is a very flashy position. And so you got that in the system for an expansion franchise. I think it's a great thing. However, you know, that's the thing. None of these guys really stand out so far. Anyways, the top two guys, they don't seem to really stand out in terms of their, like a specific skill that they have. You know, like all power seems to be just like, you know, solid across the board. He's got good size. He can skate the puck. He can move the puck. But I didn't read anything that said he can, do either any of those things, particularly like excellently or on an elite level. And Matthew Beniers, I'm reading this, uh, this profile that they've got on the athletic with the mock draft. And it's like, uh, what, he doesn't say anything about what he's particularly good at, like two way center. That's all I get. And so that's a bit of a concern because, you know, personally, I think, well, you know, you obviously with, you you know, you love a well-rounded game, but also you want to see like what will make them tick in the NHL. Um, if anything, right? Like, if it, if his development really it maybe goes not as well as you hoped, well, does he still have something to lean back on that's NHL-ready? And with these guys, there's nothing that really stands out.
0: Yeah, with Matty uh some things I've read about him are that people have used the word engine as like, oh, you know, he's got a, he's got a high motor or whatever. And that can be a little bit of a red flag. Like, like, say, we, we can take, like, Braden Point, for example. I think of that as being, like, the absolute pie in the sky high end for Matthew Beniers is to employ his motor to such a degree that he becomes a Braden Point type player. But I also think of, even though we had a great back half of the season, a guy like Sam Bennett, who was, who was praised for his motor in his draft year. And they were saying, oh, he's going to go first overall. And then he slipped to fourth. I was like, oh, he's got such a good motor, and then it never really panned out, and he became kind of like a, a fourth liner for the most part in Calgary with a good motor. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is Matthew Beniers might be good, but also might not. Anyway, let's move on to pick number three. Uh, this is one guy, as you were kind of alluding to, that does have a very specific high-end skill, Dylan Gunther, and I think this it might be like—I don't think he's going to go higher than number three— but I think he may be one of the top two prospects in the draft. And it's because of that high ceiling that we talked about all the time in our prospect profiles. We like players with the highest high ceiling, uh, something that makes them special. And, Eric Stevens here uh, writes that he's a high-end sniper that could develop into the first-line goal scorer that they need. Looking at his stats for this year, it's a pretty small sample size in the WHL, but in 12 games, he has 12 goals and 12 assists. It's an average of a goal and assist per game in the WHL. That's incredibly impressive. And, of course, currently Anaheim's top prospect is Trevor Zegras, who is uh, an elite playmaker. So that does kind of seem like a match made in heaven.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And if I'm, you know, honestly, if I'm Seattle, I would strongly consider taking Dylan Gunther first, uh, or like second, second. overall, but with their pick, um, yeah, because, man, you know, like I center, said, I said center was kind of, you know, it's a flashy position to fill. Okay, we have this in our pipeline. He's a, he's gonna be the number one center of the future. Um, but you know, you know, what's flashier, a guy who scores a shit ton of goals. Uh, and it seems like that's that's the, that's what this guy does. And I mean, as I was just saying, we're talking about elite talent or, you know, the the one thing that you're just really elite at. Uh, and I greatly value that. It looks like Dylan Gunther, his thing is doing, is scoring goals. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's a hell of a thing to be good at in the NHL. Uh, very, very useful, I would say, you know, just based on what I've seen in the past. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean... I, I would take him second overall is what I'm going to say because I mean, a goal scorer. Why not? I mean, like, it seems like Baneer is like engine. That, that is a red flag to me because I mean, what if you're, it's just, it's just, what do you really bring? If someone's can, I, like I can get a fourth liner who can, who plays really hard and can outmuscle somebody, you know what I mean? um And you know, like if, if that's what he brings, but just on another level, like, I don't know if I want to spend a second overall pick with that. Uh, but Dylan Gunther, by all means, seems like this guy's uh, a bona fide top three pick in this draft. The fourth pick, New Jersey Devils,
0: Luke Hughes, famously the brother of Quinn and New Jersey Hell Devil yeah. Jack Hughes. Uh, and Corey Maziak, or Mazisak, I think that's how it's pronounced, frames it interestingly. He says, if Luke Hughes is not among the first three players selected, he's going to be one of the biggest stories of the night, either because the Devils do draft him or because they do not normally i don't think it's much of a big story if a team doesn't draft uh their player's brother but jack has kind of made a point of being like oh yeah it'd be super cool if i got luke hughes my brother on my team and i think luke hughes even said something about how like oh what not devil specific but this is funny anyway when he was like what sets me apart from uh my brother oh well uh i'm six foot two or something like that and uh and I don't know if you remember this. Basically, the day the Devils drafted Jack Hughes first overall, uh, well, not the day, the day after when rounds two through seven were going on, he was talking to to them, the front office, and he was like, hey, you guys like Patrick Moynihan? And they were like, uh, I don't I don't know if they answered, but he was like, oh, I really like Patrick Moynihan. Patrick Moynihan was like his teammate at the U.S. development program. And then they actually drafted Patrick Moynihan, like in the sixth round. <laughs> so, So I don't know if they were going to do that already. Or if they were like, oh, let's, let's, I don't know. They probably, they're all, I assume the only reason they picked Patrick Moynihan wasn't because Jack Hughes wanted them to, this guy they just drafted. But I don't know if they like, is Jack Hughes really already pushing all the buttons in New Jersey and he's like, oh, draft my friend Patrick. Okay. Oh, draft my brother Luke. Okay. And if New Jersey's does really think Luke Hughes is the best bet at number four, I wonder if there's a part of them that's like, "Hmm, do we really want to do exactly what Jack Hughes told us to do again? Or if they go out of their way to not pick Luke Hughes, uh, does it kind of look like, oh, they're doing it because they want to stick it to Jack and show that he can't call the shots. So either way, there are going to be terrible take
1: artists at work, whether the Devils <laughs> pick Luke Hughes or not. Yeah, they, they they can't win in the public perception. You're not going to please everybody. Um, but when it comes to like like actually making the decision, um, I don't think you make a point either way. Like I don't think you... I don't think the fact that it's Luke Hughes first of all um like I don't think that would discourage you from making that pick you know you're not going to I don't think that's a logical train of thought for uh, the front office to be like yeah let's not make it seem like we're listening to Jack Hughes um like I don't think that's a uh, point of concern <laughs> number 1 um, priority of the
0: offseason do not make it look like we're listening to Jack Hughes
1: <laughs> exactly um and so yeah um if anything you know like you get the brothers together um presumably they have some chemistry I presume I don't know maybe they don't um but uh, maybe they do um as brothers would and so you stick them on the same team I mean it's a, it not if anything it brings in some ticket sales right um t- you know typically a fourth overall pick the first year um when they're not really if they're not gonna be playing in the NHL what kind of hype is there? Not really much. I mean, the draft happens, and then they kind of fade from the public eye. Um, but, uh, you know, with Jack Hughes already playing for the Devils, you will be like, well, we're just waiting for his brother to join him. And that's going to be a grand old time. And so, yeah, I think, uh, well, let's talk. We, we haven't even talked about Luke Hughes, the player, yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, le- left-handed defenseman who, according to, yeah, Matt, Corey Mazasak, quote, might be the best skater at his position. And he did produce a bunch of points um with the USND and US NTDP. So uh I mean, look, he brings that offensive talent in terms of uh, defensemen, defenseman, which I am a big fan of. Uh throwback to the last year with William Wallander. And so, I mean, look, if he's the I we haven't gotten into the some of the players that are after him, so maybe I'll find somebody that'll be like, Well, I would take him ahead of uh Luke Hughes. But as of right now. I mean, if he's got that skating ability, the puck moving thing going for him, I mean, I think that's what really makes in the modern NHL a great defenseman. And so I wouldn't hesitate to take Luke Hughes, um, especially not to stick at the Jack Hughes so that his brother isn't on his team.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wait, were you just talking about Simon Edvinson for a second? Or did I nope. did, did I just dream I, that?
1: I, I, you, you were completely dreaming.
0: Okay, so I think it's because I was I was looking ahead a bit to what they were saying about Edmondson, and then I was like, wait, was Tyson talking about Edmondson for a second? No, he wasn't. So let's move on to pick number five then, the guy that you have never heard of, Simon Edmondson. And I also think it's because he mentioned Wallander, because I was just about to say, this guy, I think you're going to like him, because he appears to be kind of like William Wallander plus. Uh, he's Ooh. big, and he's fast, and he's a Swedish left-shot defenseman, and he's got a high ceiling but also some red flags in his defensive game that might make teams kind of shy away from him. But in this draft, he's listed uh, number five overall going to Columbus. Uh, they haven't drafted, apparently, according to Aaron Portsline here, uh, a defenseman, uh, defenseman in the first round since Zach Wawenski in 2015, and with Seth Jones probably about to get traded. Maybe they want to you know draft another high-potential one. And along with Owen Power and Luke Hughes, Simon Edmondson, and uh Brandt Clark, who's mock drafted a couple picks after this, are uh, all pretty viable options there for Columbus.
1: Yeah, okay, so you're right in that uh we got that kind of wall in remote going. The one thing I'll say is that I don't know if you want to pick some someone like that with number five um if indeed he has those well then again, you know that's going against what I said last year, which is that you can fix the defensive stuff. You can't fake you can't create the offensive talent, the playmaking. Yeah. And if Edmondson brings that, I mean I you know what? I, I would endorse the pick. Um because yeah, it's all about the new age defensemen. Um I am I am not for any sort of Caden Ghoulie picks. I'm against those. Uh and I'm here for the uh puck movers. And I mean if that means they get drafted at number five overall, well then so be it. Uh and so yeah, I think yeah, I I still hold the line in terms of you can develop the defensive stuff if you have a good developmental system. Um, you really can't teach the uh, the puck moving once you get to the NHL. Uh, the yeah, mm-hmm.
0: I think a lot of people would agree with you, and I also think, well, first of all, Edmondson is better and does have a higher ceiling than Wallander, and the fact that this is kind of a weak draft where there aren't that many players with high ceilings, guys like Edmundson who could become superstars, and guys like Dylan Gunther all of a sudden. Start to stand out, where in some other years their red flags would uh would you know scare some teams away.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, Hey, eh? Like these players, we have to you have to look at them all with uh their values compared to a regular year. Um, they're going to be inflated, and so because just because it seems to be a weak draft class across the board, and so in that sense, good for Montreal for picking this year to uh, make the Stanley Cup final, not any other year where there's a strong deep class. Um, but uh yeah, it's definitely something to watch out for. So something you know, like this it seems like the the draft slot will maybe be higher for some of these players than they would be if they were drafted last year or next year or the year before. Yep.
0: being sixth overall is the Red Wings. and they have a player who's kind of, I think shot up the rankings a lot uh, this season. because uh, i I think I actually mentioned him a while back on a show, Mason McTavish about like you know, he always cool his cool hair and he probably gonna you know, look like, outside the top ten. And now I'm seeing him much more often mock-drafted inside the top 10 and pretty often around this spot, number 6 to Detroit. He had 11 points in 13 games this year in the Swiss League uh, on loan to EHC Olten. He's a center, and according to Max Boltzmann here, his skating is a question, but he would give the Red Wings a goal scorer with a knack for winning puck battles.
1: Okay. That's, that's interesting. I mean, uh, so the, it makes a good point there as in that uh, Detroit hasn't really uh, picked a, a uh, you know, a blue chip prospect at center. And so if McDavish pans out, he would give them that. Um, but uh, I'm always kind of wary with these late risers, because I always ask myself, well, what's driving that exactly? Um, like, are we really going to value like that small sample size over the course of, I don't know, a year or two in terms of their greater development? Um, but then again, you know they are like eighteen year olds, and so they do undergo like a lot of them do undergo. Some of them do, do undergo like significant development very fast. Um, but I always kind of I'm always kind of wary, you know, like what is are we buying into some fool's gold here in terms of the hype? Um, but uh his skating is a question. That's not a good thing. I mean, you know, the NHL is getting faster and faster, and you do want, especially in your top six, you want some defensively responsible folk, um, and obviously goal scoring can't be understated, but uh, I think that's a significant red flag. And six overall, eh, six overall, yeah. That's that's a tough sell for me, but uh, I mean, the goal score. Yeah, it's probably, it's worth mentioning. I did just open up another
0: scattering report on Mason McTavish yeah. from last word on sports. And under skating, it says, McTavish has a good first step and accelerates quickly. This helps him to get to loose pucks as well as quickly change speeds to elude a defender. However, his skating stride is still a little short and this limits his top end speed mcdavish will never be confused for a speedster but could improve his speed with a bit of work on his technique so that uh i don't know how how you know how trustworthy or or whatever this website and this writer ben kerr is but that does maybe give a little bit more insight into his skating as a question it's like here's some good things about his skating here's some bad things here's how they could potentially be improved in the future
1: right exactly um so all right, something to keep track of, I guess. I I don't even know what I was gonna say. Um, all right, moving on. Number seven, San Jose. Uh, Kent Johnson. All right, so let me let me read his little profile here. Um, so this guy's a center, and he, according to Scott Wheeler, what he would add a dynamic quality. Um, what the heck does that mean? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, so let me look at somewhere else. Do you have any 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 thoughts on Kent Johnson? Yeah. I know something's I had never about heard Ken Johnson of prior to today.
0: Basically, this is like a, a high skill offensive player. Uh, who I think one of the knocks on him is he sometimes tries to do too much. He's one of those guys, you know, all the skill in the world. Can he necessarily put it together? Is maybe the question. I'm pretty sure he's like uh really fast skater too. And in that sense, he is somewhat reminiscent of like a John- Jonathan Jonathan type. And Jonathan Drouin, Drouin, as we know, has only really been able to put it together in the NHL for, like, stretches and really maximize his potential. Is Kent Johnson, is it going to be a, a similar story for him?
1: I don't know. But there's definitely a high ceiling there. All right. Like, I mean, if he's got all the seal in the world, I'm definitely for hot drafting, that kind of guy, uh, early on. Um, and, I mean, I I like a guy. I'd prefer a guy who tries to do too much than a guy who doesn't do enough first of all um because yeah it's yeah. back to coaching if you could you know it really like develops development nothing. development systems <laughs> it just stands on the ice um <laughs> <Chiraz>. but uh <laughs> exactly do we do we want more bench here is that what you want to draft from the top 10 i wouldn't say so i'd even go on a bench or today wow that's we're overdue wow. for one um maybe another week maybe even later today who knows what it'll bring um but uh yeah maybe I'll just have a spontaneous burst of rage against Ben Chirot as I took as I tend to do um but uh back to back to Ken Johnson um you know you can coach that out of him you know you you can you can definitely you know it's, it's really de- you know drafting is one thing but development is such a huge part of it's such an important part of a player's development Well, no shit um but uh you know that, that's kind of <laughs> redundant but you know uh, well, their, 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 uh, their ability to make it to the NHL and thrive. Um, so, I mean, like you can absolutely see it where, you know, like you, you end up in a Jonathan Jordan situation where, I mean, you Jonathan Jordan's development has been screwed up, right? Like royally by, you know, kind of by the Lightning, but also by Montreal. And so he hasn't really been sheltered or given really the prime opportunities um, to really settle down, work on his game, and kind of bring it all together. But um, I think... If, you know, if you were to do a do over with joy and you give him a, you know, a more steady development, you know, development track, I think he could have been much more successful than he is today. And like, he's a fine player today. Um, So with Ken Johnson, hell yeah, it's all about that upside. And if he's got that high skill upside,
0: pull the trigger. Number eight, LA Kings, right shot defenseman, Brent Clark. Uh here's what uh what Lisa Dillman wrote. If the Kings get to crack a drafting a defenseman in the top 10, it should make their decision that much more straightforward if Clark is there. Uh and I think this would pretty much be the perfect pick for the Kings. Um besides the fact that Brant Clark is already, you know, a pretty good player. There was actually a feature on him on Sportsnet about how he decided to go play in Slovakia this year for his draft year uh, because obviously major junior uh, wasn't happening. And here's what, um, wait, who said this? Wait, sorry. There's a quote here trying to figure out who said it. Uh, one moment, please. Whoa. Oh, there's no name. It says one scouting analyst recently told me that Clark plays a lot like Brent Burns of the San Jose Sharks and threw in Eric Carlson adding, I love the mind. I love what he does, uh, which is not very specific. I love the mind. I love what he does. But anyway, (laughs) I think positionally, this is also, um, like the perfect thing for the kings to get a defenseman here uh so high in the draft because their pipeline is filled with so many high end forwards and they have some okay defensemen like Bjorn Foote and Michael Anderson and Kale Clegg who are starting to scratch the surface but to get one with a really high ceiling like Brant Clark I think would probably be the perfect addition to
1: their prospect pool which is already so so loaded um so yeah adding a defense, like that would be perfect and I look elsewhere and it seems like this guy he's a uh I mean, you talk about Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. They are not known for their defensive hockey. Um, they, they're they known for uh, you know their playmaking abilities in the offensive zone. And if that's what he brings, as I've said multiple times now with every single defenseman, it gives me that playmaking ability in the offensive zone. Um, and I don't know what's the deal with the skating. I see here that uh, it's potentially a concern. So that's not great. But I mean if we can bring it offensively, like we're not, we're really trying to avoid the defensive defenseman, especially in the first round. I don't think that's a fit uh, anymore in this day, in these day, this day and age. Uh, So Brad Clark for the Kings would be a great pick. Not only because I like what he brings, but yeah, as you said, the Kings need a defenseman in their system uh, to kind of really round it out and get that rebuild started. Mm -hmm.
0: Number nine, Vancouver uh, is taking here in this mock draft, the guy that all the, scouting slash analytics nerds seem to be totally in love with William Eklund last winger Jurgarden garden of the SHL unfortunately it looks like this little paragraph written by Thomas Drance doesn't actually say much about William Eklund except here here's what it says it says if well I don't think William Eklund will be around Vancouver makes the ninth pick but they'd be ecstatic if he was and then he says we've been through four mock drafts and uh Here's who Vancouver took in those other mock draft. Uh, and then it goes at the end like, oh, uh, there's kind of like a, a so-called like consensus top nine tier. And Eklund was the last one here of that. So there's very little information here about him. So I'm going to search for another scouting report. Hold on, please, while I do that. I do know from what I remember, what I've read before... He's pretty much just got uh, a great, well-rounded game, which, you know, is a lot nicer to draft a player like that, say, closer to ninth overall than maybe first when he wants something a little more, you know, stand-outish about them. This year, he played in the SHL, the Men's League, and scored 23 points in 40 games, which is very impressive. Eklund is a very good skater, according to last word on sports. Eklund is a very smart player. He loves to slow down the play and find openings in the defense. He has very good stick handling and puck control, as well as good balance. So uh, here's another one. Eklund is a very good defensive player. He reads the play well and puts himself in good positions to cut down passing lanes. He's willing to work down low, supporting the defense against the cycle game. So this is a, a player who's very strong all around that a lot of people seem to be a fan of.
1: Okay. So then the question is, why isn't he higher in this mock draft? Um, because by all means this guy looks like uh you know, a dynamic winger who brings the skill. Uh and who and who brings the uh, what was it? The apparently he's got really good skating, so we're all for that. Um like in terms of his edge work according to who do I have. Most I have would here? say he should be I'm higher from. than number nine. Well there we go. Um so yeah, so watch out for him higher than number nine and Vancouver gets him. That's great for them because uh, like, what's the knock on him? What is he? What is he he's five foot 10. So uh, we're going to, we're going to do the, we're going to do the undersized routine again. Um, did you <laughs> see how well that worked with the, with Cole Caulfield uh, among other, or even just Braden point on the same in both in the Stanley cup final. Uh, so, I mean, look, there doesn't seem to be much on this guy in terms of a red flag. So I would fully expect him to go higher than this um, because, uh, Reads like a stud, um, is from what I see.
0: Number 10, Ottawa is picking what a name. Chaz Lucius, Excellent. everyone's favorite name. Uh, here's what Ian Mendez wrote. I know there's been a lot of chatter about the senators taking a goalie in this spot, but I believe the organization desperately needs some high-end skill up front. Uh, and he goes on and on. Lucius is a pure goal scorer. Yeah, Mendez even writes that. He's been described as a pure goal scorer by many and should be able to slot in as a centerman with this organization. He scored 13 goals in 13 games uh, the at the U.S. National Under-18 Team, the USDP, this year. And okay, one last word on sports also. I'm not sure. Can you? I, this must be a mistake. This first sentence because it says Lucius skating is not at the level of other top prospects in the in this draft, but it is not ability either. I think there's at least one liability? Word missing. Liability. I, I assume he, I that's probably what this person meant to write. It is not a liability. Instead, it's written it is not ability. <laughs> but yeah, this guy's uh, pretty much similarly to Dylan Gunther, uh, gonna be a pure goal scorer, a center, good arsenal of shots, uh. So this is another high ceiling player who's probably number ten, probably an appropriate spot.
1: Yeah, draft him. Um, there's uh, I mean, it's, it's it's back to the what can you do for me? If there's one thing that you have got that you can do, um, what is it? Do you have that kind of thing? If it's scoring goals. That's fantastic. Let's get him. Um, and yeah, seems like that's what Chaz Lucius does on top of having an absolutely fantastic name. So he brings the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Hopefully not to Ottawa. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't think we're going to have time to run through this entire first round. Cause we just finished pick 10, nope. but we'll do a couple more. And I want to look at the next pick also. Uh, well, first of all, it's the Arizona Coyotes void. The one after that, Chicago. They have taken Matthew Coronado, who I don't know that much about. But I was just—I was reading this paragraph written by Mark Lazarus. Please, please do better, Mark Lazarus, as I'm writing these paragraphs. I want to read it. Try to guess uh, if I didn't tell you this was about Matthew Coronado. Let me—you get—you get like seventy-five percent through before it even mentions Matthew <laughs> Coronado. This is how it goes how <laughs> it's tempting to it's tempting to go with a goalie here, particularly yes for Wallstedt, but the black the Blackhawks just picked Drew Camesso in the second round last year and are high on the Boston University netminder, throw in the offseason signing of Arvid Soderblom, <laughs> and it's getting pretty crowded on the Chicago depth chart and goal. So when in doubt, it's always a good bet that the Blackhawks will opt for a USHL kid or a local kid. Matthew Coronado fits both bills as a Chicago Steel product could be an opportunity to trade down a few spots with the team looking for a goalie. And that's it. What have we learned about Matthew Coronado? He's from <laughs> He's Chicago a local kid. and plays for the yeah. Chicago Steel. That's it. That's the only new information I've learned about Matthew Coronado. I know nothing about him. I learned nothing. Come on, Mark Lazarus. I know you can do better than that. I'm going to click on this profile, see if we can come up with anything new. Uh, I'm at a loss. All right, okay. So the first word of this article it links to by Scott Powers is a motor. Uh, it says, motor is one of those words you hear associated <laughs> with NHL draft prospects all the time. Fuck. You ask a draft prospect about their game, they'll often tell you about their high motor. They know scouts love to hear that. Uh, according to five 5'10, 193 pound winger, has the motor NHL teams are actually looking for in players. The way he competes consistently is a gift. I don't know if he's had a shift off in the two years he's been here so far um what else what else is there besides he works hard uh he works hard um 10 goals in 10 games for the bison there's a chicago steel tweet so i guess he's a pretty good goal scorer too that's nice and it probably would have been nice to mention off the top is that he's a good goal scorer instead of just he goes fast (laughs) uh but i honestly even after trying for a minute and a half don't know enough about matthew coronado to have an opinion about him
1: (laughs) What, what what do you think I've learned? I've um, <laughs> been reading articles, and I'm still reading this Lazarus paragraph. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll call this one an incomplete, I guess. Um, <laughs> Best of Maybe we can, can luck like, to
0: Matthew Coronado. Is this our new yeah, meme player? Yeah. There's, there's, I think we should. I, I think hope so. he feels really
1: good. And we commit to the bit of never knowing anything about Matthew Coronado. Can we do that? <laughs> sure. All right. From now on, Googling anything about Matthew Coronado is hereby... Completely Banned. illegal. Um, and I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't want to hear anything about him. Um, you know, so that'll be a good time. Um, should we get into the <laughs> when goalies? Draft um, him, we'll say. Who... Yeah, I wanted to mention them too. Um,
0: so this mock has Jesper Wallstedt going 17th to St. Louis. Uh, I don't think he's going to fall that far. I know some people are still kind of wary of picking goalies high even though Skarov and Spencer Knight have both gone top 13 in the past two years. Uh, I honestly think if the fact that all four starting goalies in the conference final this year, or semifinal, whatever they were called this year, were first-round picks, I feel like that should change a lot of people's mind. Vasilevsky, Price, Varlamov, Flurry were all first-round picks. Spencer Knight, there's a recent example of a first-round pick who's already great. And yes, for Wallstedt, I've even seen some people say, that, uh oh you know if you weren't such a coward you'd take him in the top five because he's pretty much a shoe in to be a, a a great number one goalie so I really think he probably doesn't fall past Chicago there at pick 11.
1: yeah when it comes to goalies um first of all like this seems like a great for first fit for Chicago we've been wondering when they're when they're gonna find their heir apparent, i um, assuming Kevin Lankan isn't isn't gonna be the guy for the next uh six odd years um but yeah it it's interesting eh because uh you really don't see many goalies taken like you'll have years where you know th- there's no goalie taken until even maybe the second round um and and i think you know that if you do have a goalie who people are saying has a first round grade that should um drive you to pick them to to just to just see you know like that gives me a great sense of security about their prospects because i mean when, do, when have we ever really seen a first-round bust? Maybe I just can't think of one off the top of my head, but a first-round first goalie, goalie bust. like uh, you know. I mean, Jack Campbell was
0: looking like it for a while. Then he kind Exactly, of I was going to say that. Right. Malcolm Subban is another one that never quite panned out. Uh, Ilya Samsonov and Jake Ottinger, we don't really know yet. Um, Zach Fucali was expected to go in the first round, and it was a surprise that he fell out uh, to just barely outside. So maybe you'll sort of count that one, but there haven't really been any total failures in the first
1: round uh, goalie picks that, that I can think and, of. And Yeah, and there's no other position where you can expect first of all, um, a 100% hit rate, um, but from you know just the fact that we can't really name any busts off the top of our head, it seems to be a pretty good hit rate for goalies, and so I don't think that's a reason to uh, shy away, because for any position you'll have a whole bunch of busts, right? Uh, and the fact that the goalie, the, you know, first round goalies aren't littered with uh, nobodies who really mounted to anything. Um, I think, you know, you really shouldn't shy away from drafting goal in the first round, especially if it's agreed upon that he's got that pedigree. Um, as you said, the only seen thing just how important goalies are. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: The only thing I can, I can think of is not necessarily that, oh, we're afraid the goalie won't pan out. It's more so like there are other avenues like trade or free agency, where it's possible to acquire a good starting goalie. And as a team, you only need one rather than use up a first round pick when you may have the chance to take, you know, a, a high end forward or defenseman that are much harder to acquire in other ways. So from that way, I can kind of see where where some of those people are coming from. But this year is actually super interesting because there are, like, two high-end goalies available that are almost definitely both going to go in the first round. And the second one, Sebastian Kosa, they have going number 20 to Edmonton. Uh, and, I mean, the Oilers could probably use a high-end goalie prospect uh, as much as anybody these days. We have Miko Koskinen, and uh, maybe are they going to be bringing back Mike Smith
1: Vezina vote receiving sure thirty nine
0: so. year old Mike Smith for another year. Uh goaltending
1: future is looking very bleak there. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, from uh, this article, apparently he's even uh, he plays for Edmonton, like his junior team's Edmonton, right? Yeah, the Oil um, so Kings. That's, that's that's cool for them. Um, so if they could get a a local kid, um, as Mark Lazarus would say, um, good for them. But uh, yeah, what's the like you know. It's, it's hard to, because uh, we don't just, there just really aren't that many. Um, it's hard to like, as, as like, you know, podcasters or whatever, talk about goaltending prospects because, you know, with, with players, you know, skaters, um, you know, we'll talk about their skating. We'll talk about their, I don't know, uh, goal scoring or playmaking abilities or, you know, whatnot. Um, we have already, we have like a set number of categories that we typically go through. Um, but with goaltenders, what do we really even have to go on? Obviously, you know, like I think save we could. percentage, I guess. But like we could find things we, we like here? characteristics to discuss if we did
0: more research about them. Because we talked about a scare off for a while next year, and it probably will mostly come down to come down to like compare, comparing them to other goalies, uh either that are already in the NHL or that were drafted recently. I don't know. If, maybe we could do that like uh at some point. Well, actually no, probably can't do that at some point. I was gonna say like a deep dive on on Walstead and Sebastian Kosa, but we absolutely don't have time to do that before the draft. Maybe after, potentially. Probably not. Anyway, we're over an hour and a half now. One more player I want to mention here. Just because he's been mock-drafted to Montreal uh, by Arpan Basu, Zachary Leroux, left winger, Halifax Mooseheads. Here's what he wrote. It is a bit of a trope for the Canadians to be taking a Quebec kid and hoping he pans out. But when you're picking at this spot and someone with the upside of Leroux is available, the unique reality of the Canadians comes into play. Having said that, LaRue's competitiveness fits with what the Canadians have been looking for in the All draft right. over the past few years, and the relative lack of talented wingers in their system fits an organizational need as well.
1: Win-win-win. All right. Um, if he's a talented winger, sure. If his number one characteristic is competitiveness, I don't know if I love that. Um, but, uh, I mean, sure. I mean, well, okay, so so the, like the, the pick is... Uh, you know, I think is especially when you get this late in the draft, it's kind of whatever because you really don't know. Maybe there'll be some of that balls and things like that. But what I want to discuss briefly is what do we want from the Habs here in the first round? Um, last year, we wanted not Caden Gooley. We didn't get our wish there. Um, but uh, what do you think the strategy should be? I think, you know, I think we both kind of have the mentality that you should be uh, drafting for best player available at all times. But with uh, well, this year in particular, I tend to feel that you could do that more than ever with this team. Um, a, because you're drafting so late. Um, and so there really isn't that pressure because it's basically a second round pick at this point. Uh, and B, and you should always be swinging for the fence for those. Uh, and B, um, like their pipeline is pretty stocked across the board. So like, if you could just plug in a great player that you find, I mean, that's, that's, I'm all for that.
0: Yeah, I think especially Montreal isn't really in a position to have to be drafting positionally. And as we get to know these players in the in the twenty to thirty range more, we're probably gonna become, you know, we're probably gonna become fans of at least a couple of them. And as it usually happens, there are probably gonna be some great players that end up falling to the thirty one range that were gonna be like, Yes, they fell and then Montreal is gonna pass on them, of course. Um, like do you really think they would have taken Noel Gunler last year if they were picking right at the end of the first round? I strongly doubt it. But oh, uh chance. maybe maybe someone like uh maybe someone like Atu Radier or, or Fabian Liesel is actually going to fall all the way down to Montreal and we're going to celebrate. So we'll see. I think maybe next week next week we'll uh we'll finish going through this, learn some more about the prospects and also do the Seattle expansion stuff. How do you how do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's the off season. Let's go. Uh and Let's go. uh I mean, this is uh this is plenty of content to work with. And so um, I'm very excited about it. And uh, yeah, the expansion draft and the draft, it's really sneaking up on us. Mostly because, you know, they made the cup final. I'm sure other fan mm-hmm. bases have been talking about the draft for like two months now. Um, but we haven't. So uh, so yeah, I'm uh, late to the like, party. We have a lot to cover and I'm excited for it. Yep. Yeah. Fashionably Thanks late. for
0: listening to this week's, oh, of course, Fashionably Late. I'm wearing my pajamas right now. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week, the day that the expansion lists are sent out. I'm not sure if it's like a 5 p.m. deadline or if we're going to have them or have some of them or not have any of them, but we'll see. We'll see when we get there. Thanks for listening. You can follow this podcast on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter as well. Okay?